Welcome to episode two of Actually by Bishamba and Suhani. Today we're going to be talking about something very close to our hearts, which is dreams. Um, both of us have come a long way from where we started, and that's only been possible because we've had a sense of purpose, we've followed our instinct and our gut, and we've pushed through a lot of barriers to be where we are today. Um, this is only the beginning, and we have a long way to go. And we want to share with you some of our tips and tricks of our journey along the way, how we've overcome so many obstacles to get where we are today. And joining me, of course, is Bishamba Das. Hi, B. Hi, Sahani. So excited to do this with you again. And you know what? I'm really happy that we're talking about this topic because I don't think many people talk about it. And it's really, really important for me especially when I look at people that inspire me, you know, what were their dreams or what were the patterns that they went through in life in order for them to achieve whatever their goals were? Um, so I've always found it really, really interesting and I'm glad that we're doing it. Absolutely. And what's really interesting, you, you mentioned patterns and how people do have certain patterns when they're achieving their dreams. And we can almost take this as a template and apply it to all of us the first thing is our upbringing and our childhood. So a lot of people grow up without having a sense of support. Um, and a lot of people are brought up in an environment where dreams are discussed and there's a lot of support involved. So I'm really interested in knowing how your childhood and upbringing was. I think the word that you used earlier on was purpose. And I think that's such a powerful word because we don't always know what our purpose is as such. And especially growing up as a kid, I didn't really know what my purpose was. And probably a lot of people can relate to that as well, because we don't always have things figured out. We don't know where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Um, but certainly in my household, you know, even though I came from a, a really loving family where parents genuinely wanted their children to thrive and take every opportunity that is given that is given to the children um, and make the best of it and be successful at everything that they do. I felt like maybe that now that I can look back and now that I know what different people's parenting skills are like, I feel that probably my parents didn't do what I probably would have needed at that time in order for me to achieve my full potential at a much younger age. Um, so, you know, going back to dreams, I don't remember any time where my mom or dad ever turned around and said to me, you know what, Bishamba, go and achieve your dreams. You know, we hear that phrase all the time, don't we? And I actually really can't recall anybody saying that to me as a child. And do you feel that as a child, you did daydream a lot? You had a lot of dreams? I think... You know, I know I laughed about this before we were, you know, when we were just discussing this, when we were going to, you know, discussing what topics we're going to do. And, you know, both me and you are Sagittarius women. And I think one trait is that we really sometimes are away with the fairies. And I think that's always been something for me as a kid. I've always thought that, oh, you know, like if you would ask me when I was like four years old, oh, Bishamba, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always used to say, I want to be a policeman. I wouldn't understand the difference between a policewoman and a policeman. So I used to say, I'm going to be a policeman. Um, so I've always like had aspirations in terms of that. That's what I want to do. But sometimes my aspirations have been really, really, um, uh, what's the word? Not easily achievable. Uh, so I would always take 
you know, I talk about this quite openly as well. I would always take like my mum's dupatta, which is a scarf. And, you know, I would tie it around me and make it into a sari. And then I would put the TV on and then start copying Juhi Chavla, who's a famous Bollywood actress, her moves. And, you know, I, in my mind, even though I never used to physically say this, I used to think, oh, I can be an actress any day as well. Um, you know, I genuinely thought that I could be like whatever I see out there in the world. I mean, you obviously have much more deeper um, from your experiences, um, you know, experiences that have happened to you as such, you know, uh, yeah. tell us about it. And, you know, the reason I like going back to the childhood, like you just mentioned, is that at that age, you feel like you can do everything. There's no voice inside of your head stopping you from thinking that you can become an actress or a policeman, like you said. Um, and it was a similar story with me. I grew up um, wanting to do everything creative under this world. Um whether that was writing, I wanted to write books, um, I wanted to be, be a musician, I wanted to act, I wanted to model, I wanted to do everything creative. And I was, um, there was never a sense of, oh, I can't do this. It was always like, this is the first step. And then when you grow older, things automatically happen. Yeah. And that's, that is the beauty of a childhood. And I feel like every child should have that opportunity almost and that protection to feel like anything is possible. If they want to be an astronaut, if they want to be a, the prime minister, they should have those ambitions growing up. Yeah. Because it's the time where you're truly creative and you never know which one of those actually come true. So you might have an inkling towards following one particular path like I did. Um, I knew I wanted to do something creative. So I... I actively took steps as I grew up to go in that direction. And that wouldn't have been possible if in my childhood I hadn't had the opportunity and the space and that support to just be free and not have anyone telling me that you need to be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer. You know, I had people just allowing me to breathe around me. Mm -hmm. You just took me back to a memory. So we all remember the tragic time when Princess Diana died, right? I remember at that point in my life, I'm not laughing obviously at that, I'm laughing at myself because I actually thought that I was going to meet Prince William and marry him. Oh. <laughs> but again, I'm going back to sometimes how innocent we can be. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually think that we will be able to dream of something and go out and achieve it, even if it's something crazy as marrying Prince William because Bashamba thought she would do that one day. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Watch the space. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's funny because I wanted to be a princess. I, like, I wanted to be Princess Diana. I didn't want really? to marry her son. I wanted to be her. Um, but it's nice to have these fantasies because it activates your imagination. And that's ultimately what everything is. Even when we're older, we need to daydream. We need to just look out of the window, put some music on and daydream about marrying prince william still do that now <laughs> but not about marrying prince william <laughs> there's someone else now <laughs> another prince um and just thinking and imagining and not not having boundaries and not adding logic to what we dream and imagine just for a while just an, as an exercise because it frees you up it sends a lot of um positive thoughts and feelings to the feeling of being alive it's so true and we we take these things for granted and I think you know if we're parents or we have younger siblings we should really enable um younger people around us to do that it really does form I think to an extent of who you are going to be when you're an adult 
that is so important. It's important to have that supportive environment when you're growing up. But also what happens is the moment we step foot in school, things change. Suddenly um, you're swept into the world of exams. Then before you know it, we have GCSEs and we have to make career choices. And at that point, things are different. Everything's very practical and logical like it should be. But what I felt was lacking in that outer circuit was options. Um, it was all very limited. There wasn't a sense of, you know, you can do anything you want. Um, I went to school where most people ended up going to university and taking very academic routes. And that was the only support that was provided. So what I think is that there needs to be a shift that happens in the educational system as well. Mm -hmm. um, we need to support dreams and ambitions and talents. And there needs to be a sense of purpose. Yeah, you know, and I think work needs to be done on that at a much younger age than what is probably happening certainly when I was a child. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was it like for you? Would, did you know what your purpose was at that age? I know it sounds like a bit of a crazy question to ask. If I went and stopped any five or ten-year-old child in the street and said, what's your purpose? They would probably look at me baffled. But I think if we have these conversations in a more childlike, friendly manner and start, you know, drilling in this into our children, maybe we probably would have more confident adults in today's world. What do you think? Absolutely. And I think the word purpose is so big and frightening. When we break it down, purpose is basically what you like doing. So if you're speaking to a child, you simply need to ask them, what do you enjoy doing? Do you like helping people? Yes or no. Do you like communicating? Yes or no. Do you like sitting on a desk and writing? Do you like numbers? And once you start answering these questions, very easy questions that you can ask a child, slowly there will be a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. um, we can do this with adults as well. So I can ask you, B, do you like traveling? Mm -hmm. Yes or no. You know, if, just by asking these yes or no questions, we start to find who you are yeah. and what you have to give to this world. Mm -hmm. That is basically what purpose is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, when we were, again, we were discussing what we're going to do in respect of, you know, when we're going to talk about dreams for this podcast. And I just thought to myself, do I even know today as a 33 year old South Asian woman, what my purpose is? Because, you know, I do feel like it's a really, really heavy word. And I, probably still don't know what my purpose is. And I think sometimes we get so swept into, oh my God, I don't know what my purpose is. What am I going to do? That we actually forget it's okay to also not know what your purpose is, but to also recognize and understand very clearly that if you don't have a purpose, it does not mean that you're not any less important or any less valuable. That's what I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, because purpose and dreams and goals, they change every single day. Mm -hmm. um, just because your purpose was something a few years ago doesn't mean it should be the same right now. Um, it's a constantly evolving process. That's why, you, you know, you need to ask yourself almost every day. And I know it sounds a bit taxing, maybe not every day, but once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, what is my purpose now? Who am I right now? Because we are constantly changing. Our bodies are changing. Our minds are changing. Our emotions are changing. The relationships we have with people are changing. Maybe um, the person who you're friends with right now, 
that friendship isn't going to last for another two years, perhaps, because... And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. Um. So everything around us is changing. It's a dynamic environment that we're in. So we need to understand that, that our sense of purpose is evolving. I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because I would have never looked at it like that. To me, purpose seems like it's something that's permanent. And once you decide what your purpose is, you've got to stick to that for the rest of your life. Do you know what I mean? And especially now that you're talking, I just keep applying that to my own life. And I think the key was in ask yourself every now and then, like you said, what is your purpose right now? Do you know what I mean? Um, And the only reason why I was talking about sort of, you know, not being valuable or just because you feel like you don't have a purpose, um, because we always think that purpose has to... um, don't know how to sort of put this into words. We always feel that the work, that the feeling of being purposeful or having a purpose has got to be something that's very, very important. I mean, it is important, obviously, but it doesn't define how valuable you are. It doesn't define your self-worth. And I think that these words are, certainly from my understanding, it has been um, very, um, I, I feel like it's linked I mean, I can talk about my experience. So like, obviously, we both got law degrees, right? So we both went to university, we studied law. And um, even me just going into that, I went to university. I remember it very clearly. It's like a scene out of a movie in my head. It still still plays and I laugh at myself at it. I didn't have any older siblings. I didn't have parents who sort of would have known the education system so they could support me better. So whatever I've done in life, I've always kind of done... um, on my own. So I rocked up at the university knowing that I am going to start a university course. I went in after having discussions with careers advisors at school um, after finishing my A-level exams that I'll probably go into sociology. Little did I know that fate had something else planned for me. I walked into the the auditorium because that's where all the faculties were at the time for different departments um, of courses that we could study. And I literally had a conversation with one of the helpers there who was just helping people. And I said, um, she says, well, what course do you want to enroll yourself onto? I just looked at her and I says, which one's the best one? <laughs> That's literally what I said. Like I've gone to buy some groceries. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> I did no research. I did nothing. Um, and she said to me, oh, well, you've got these few options. And she went, oh, you could do law. Um, and I says, well, was it hard? And she was like, no, a couple of my friends have done it. It's not that bad. And I was like, okay, I'll do law and criminology then. And that's literally what I went and I did. I enrolled myself onto it and I went and I completed a degree in it. How crazy is that? Like, I would never allow my child to do that. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> did you know that you wanted to go into acting at that age? I did, okay. yes. So that was all planned out in my head. I think ever since I was 13 or 14, I knew that I wanted to become an actor. So would you say you went to university to please your parents then? Not to please my parents, but to have some sort of footing and grounding and some sort of a backup plan because acting is a profession which is so so unstable and uncertain and it did make sense to have a degree at the end of the day because it's going to be with me for life it's going to be a very strong backup um, for me and um, also I was very good at studying so it seemed like a waste of an opportunity to have come so far um, to have done so well and then to just not explore it to its potential So there was that element as well. Um, So I decided to study law because I thought, what's the hardest thing that I can study in the fields that I enjoy? So that's humanities and social sciences and those sort of subjects. And I thought law is something that's truly going to challenge me. And I'm someone who loves a challenge. I think it's sort of 
links in with setting goals and dreams and always wanting to push myself to my um, potential and to the very edge. So that's where law came in for me. I I got through the degree not wanting to pursue a career in law. Everyone else was busy getting vacation schemes and training contracts. And I was just getting through my degree and planning my shift to India to get into acting and stuff. So there was this dual um, setting in my mind. One was switched on towards the academic part and the other one was sort of doing pageants and modeling and doing all sorts of other things. Um, And having that sense of balance was what got me through the law degree. Wow. That's, That's really interesting that you say that. Where when I was studying, I had no idea that I would ever even step foot into this creative field of wanting to do modeling or even try my hand at acting in any way whatsoever. So it's it's really interesting. And sometimes we just got to let fate do what it's got to do. I, I'm a real strong believer in something like that. I think, you know, again, like I said, going to university, thinking that I was going to end up doing sociology, but then I had law in my hands. Um, I think you've got to trust the process sometimes as well, don't you? You've just mentioned trusting the process, and I think this is one of the most important points that's going to be discussed in today's podcast, um, because I really, really want to talk about the difference between ambition and desperation. Now, ambition is healthy. I think it's what drives us forward. It's what makes us get up in the morning and do the things that you know perhaps we don't want to do. Um, it gives us a sense of moving forward and clarity you know but then there's desperation and that's when ambition is taken to an extreme level desperation is when your whole life purpose is dependent on you fulfilling certain goals and dreams and desires and it becomes obsessive to a point where that is what fulfills your self-esteem and it becomes very one-pointed now we live in a society especially the American society, more so than the European one. Essentially, it's the American dream where you you flourish and you succeed. And sometimes that can turn into desperation. And that's a a line that we all need to draw. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this, B? I think the most important thing is, I mean, there's something very empowering about being in control in there at the end of the day. And I think we all love to and want to be in control. Um, But... we've lost all control if we're desperate. That's the reality. And I think, you know, when we are ambitious about things, we're still in control. We're in control of which way we are leading our lives. We're in control of which way we're going, what we're going to try and set out in terms of our goals and how we're going to achieve them. But when you get to desperation, you know, you've lost complete control. Most likely, you probably don't know where you're going next. Um, and I think that's what tends to happen, really, in, t- in them situations, because we've we've all wanted things so badly that we do become extremely desperate. But that's when it becomes really unhealthy, like you said. Absolutely. And your self-esteem just keeps swinging up with the highs and the lows, because we all know that challenges are going to come um, regardless of what we do. Even if you have a stable job, you're going to get challenges and ups and downs. So to put our self-esteem in the hands of our dreams and goals is dangerous. Um, I can speak from personal experience. When I was living in India, pursuing my acting career, I went through a lot. I went through healthy ambition and 
unhealthy ambition as well. Um, the environment that I was in, there was a lot of competition. There was... Um, we talk about numbers because when you told me yeah. numbers, I was like, wow. So yes. when you would go for an audition, is one role. How many people would turn up? So, for example, a TV commercial audition, they'd be looking for one girl and around 300 people would be auditioned. Wow. Um, maybe more. I'm not sure. But there'd be huge queues. Um, all these girls would be eyeing up each other. There'd be this sense of competition, the sense of insecurity and comparison. And when you're surrounded by that energy, somehow it sucks you in. Even though that wasn't who I was, eventually, after a couple of years, that's who I became. And I think I started shifting away from who I truly was. And my pursuit for this career turned from something which was inspiring to me, creative to me, to something that was unhealthy, obsessive and desperate. Mm. I think that that is the word. And what happens when you're in such a competitive environment is that people are willing to pull each other down. People are ready to play dirty tricks. Um, and you need to draw the line and you need to take the stance and decide whether this matches you or not. And it's really important to always reconnect yourself to your core and your purpose and keep asking yourself these questions because I was out of control in that environment and it wasn't who I was. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your modeling career. Oh, totally. You know, to compare ourselves, it's um, I would find myself going on to Instagram pages of other really well-known models in my field and thinking, well, what are they doing that's so different to me where, you know, they are getting, um, you know, much more recognition for the work that they are doing? Because obviously we're all worthy of it. You put hard work in, then of course you should be given, um, you know, recognition. And sometimes there, naturally there is an element of jealousy in that, you know, I think we look at jealousy as if it's a negative thing. I think it's human nature to feel that way. Um, and it comes along with probably being insecure about yourself one way or the other. Um, so, yeah, I would constantly be comparing myself. Um, it's not healthy, but now it's got to a point where you have to understand that what is your story is not theirs and what is theirs is not yours. And that we're all different and there's beauty in being different. Like it's all good saying it and I used to say it a lot, but I never actually fully, fully like understood it and felt it. But now I genuinely do where I could now look at other people in my field and think, you know what? Well done, girl. Well done that you are doing that. But that's not going to deter me from speaking all the languages that I do on my social media platforms, even if that might mean that a large percentage of my British fan following um, are going to probably start unfollowing me because they don't understand what I'm saying. But at the same time, I'm connecting with people around the world who don't see any of these opportunities, which we so widely take for not granted, but we widely accept. So it's something new somewhere else. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's how I feel about that. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you brought up jealousy as a point because we don't admit this often that, you know, we do innately get jealous sometimes. And I think this links back to the point of desperation. Um, if you're in a place of desperation and insecurity, you're bound to get jealous when people get the job that you wanted. You don't feel a sense of happiness for them. And I went through that as well. Um, I came close to so many roles sometimes and I didn't get it. And then I'd find out 
um, who did get that part. And I would feel really jealous. I felt like I was deserving of it. And why did they get it? And what's wrong with me? And um, those emotions just weren't healthy. So when you can switch um, jealousy into, like you said, feeling good for someone else getting work or that same job that you were up against, that's when you know you've transformed from within. And that's where your desperation is a healthy ambition. Yeah, which is really important. So how do you take rejection? Rejection is something that I have struggled with over the years, especially being an actor. You probably go for 100 auditions and get five jobs, mm. if that. Um, the, it's a lot. It's, dealing with rejection is something that I've had to do on a daily basis. And after a while, I think I became so carefree about rejection. I was like, if it's meant to be, it will be. Mm. I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to give my best in this process. And I really don't care what happens. It's hard to actually do that in theory. And sometimes I am able to do it. And sometimes I'm not. Um, obviously, there are other factors involved, like finances. It's easier to be carefree if you don't have a, you know, a mortgage or a rent to pay for. Um, but when you do have to pay a bill, you do get you know, mm. you want something and you get worked up against it and then it's harder to take that rejection. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've learned is that rejection isn't personal. We think it's personal because it's happening to us, but it's nothing to do with us. It's just that we didn't fit into that particular requirement at that particular time. And mm -hmm. um, whether it's a job you're applying for, or for me, in my case, it was an audition or um, you're getting a loan from a company or whatever it could be. You didn't fit that requirement at that time. There's nothing wrong with you specifically. Definitely, there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, let's face it, sometimes auditions or jobs could be set up out there where they already know who they're going to give it to, but they have to go through the rigmarole of it because it might be the law, for example, or they've got to show that they are doing things fairly. You know, people are responsible for their own actions. So, I mean, I'm a strong believer in karma. If I am going to sit there and... Um, you know, fake it to the rest of the world that I'm doing everything equally, but really I know what my agenda is, um, you know, then that is just going to basically, um, you know, just it's going to fall back onto me. So we're all responsible for our own actions and we shouldn't take that, um, you know, from other people onto ourselves. Whatever they've done, that's their doing. Don't take it onto you and that's not a reflection of you. Um, so yeah, it's really important. And it's taken me a long time to get to where I have in terms of rejection. I used to take it very personally. Sometimes I still do take it personally. Um, it's work in progress. And, um, you know, I will never forget um, in the past before, I mean, things that used to matter then don't matter so much now because with practice and with time, you learn to let go and move on with things. And, you know, at the beginning of my career, I remember there's one situation where I was once friends with um, one particular individual. We're no longer friends. I ended my ended my friendship because I don't feel it was healthy um, with them about maybe about four or five years ago. Um, and really earlier on, that person came to me and had a right dig and they said, oh, well, guess what? My friends laugh at the fact that you're a model and they say, oh, my God, how can she be a model? I don't know why. I felt like that comment absolutely cut me. That's how I genuinely felt. I mean, now if someone said that to me, I'll just laugh because I truly understand that I don't seek validation from someone who's not even valid themselves. 
That's how I look at it, you know. But at the time, that certainly cut me. And it, it's something that still sticks with me now. You know, I still, sometimes when I think about it, I remember the the hurt that I felt. Um, and to make things worse, that particular individual then said, you know, something along the lines to me of, um, well, you know, that's what they said to me. And, you know, maybe they're right. And I just thought to myself, you were supposed to be my friend. And as a friend, why would you say that to another individual? So have you been faking your friendship with me? Um, so it, it, that really, really hurts. And I genuinely struggled with that rejection. But again, going back to my point, I really genuinely believe that I am no longer seeking any sort of validation from people who are not valid anymore, in my opinion. That's a really good way to look at rejection. Actually, I'm going to take note of that. Now, of course, it's 2020 now, and it's a really exciting time because it's a new decade. And um, I don't know if you believe in New Year's resolutions or not, but I strongly feel that December is a perfect time to reflect upon your year, to take some rest and rejuvenate yourself for the new year. Um, change your perspective, change your mindset and change your routine and lifestyle. And I have been working on that. And now that it's January, I'm really excited. I'm completely energetic about what I have to do this year. Both of us have our businesses that we're working on. Mm. Um, I'm launching mine this year and B has Girl Like Me, which again is, you know, doing well. Really and well. I think this sounds cliche, but I can feel it in my waters that it's going to be a good year. I genuinely can. You know, when you've worked so hard, you have to have faith and trust not in only in yourself, but again, in the process. And just know that if you've worked from your heart, that you will see the fruits of everything that you've been working towards. Um, and, I, and I do think that this year we are going to see that. Absolutely. And it's so important to have goals that are controllable. So, for example, um, let's say a business, for example, if I ha if my goal was to launch a business and make £100,000 a year or act in a movie which stars Leonardo DiCaprio in it. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. But if that was my goal, I'm going to really struggle with that. I'm going to constantly feel under pressure, stressed, and that's going to be quite counterproductive for me. So it's very important to have goals which are within your control. So instead of those goals I stated, I would change it to launching a business by blah, blah, blah date, because that is going to be within my control. I would make my goal um, to be able to audition for certain roles, so get in touch with certain casting directors. Um, again, that's within, sort of within my control. And that's going to make me feel better about myself. That's going to make me feel more productive rather than very out there in the air and going through intangible goals. Totally agree with you. You know, the main important thing is, even if you feel like the world is standstill around you, because obviously we don't have control over that, one thing that we do have control over is constantly trying to better ourselves. So if you are in a creative field, carry on working on your portfolio, carry on trying to explore a different side of yourself um, in your creativity. That is something that I would definitely say, because when you see progress in things like that, automatically is going to be a massive you know, booster in your confidence Um and again, something new for you to present to other people, because you know what? You've got to show that you are talented, willing, um, and that's what's going to lure and capture people to come towards you, even if it is casting directors or agencies or whatever. 
Exactly. So every little step makes a difference. And this is the first year that I actually have a vision board. So this is something I want to share with all of you listening. I have a little vision board on Pinterest where I've um, shortlisted certain images that resonate with me. Um, Some of them are very simple images of just a happy girl laughing and, um, you know, different images which bring me a lot of warmth from within. And I look at these whenever I'm feeling low and it instantly uplifts my mood. So this is something that I'm going to try this year, which is having a vision board. And B, do you have any tactics or strategies? You know what? I really, really don't. But I feel like I'm learning so much from you. So I actually am probably going to go and get myself a vision board as well and start collating one together. But honestly, I genuinely don't have anything. I'm one of them people um, that just says, right, or maybe a checklist. Do you know what I mean? A to-do yeah. list. That helps me because it feels good when I see the ticks all down it. But I tell myself that this is what needs to be done. And then I go out and I achieve it and I do it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what's always something that's worked for me. But I've struggled with being like a, a visual type of person. But I think that I would thrive off something like that. So, again, new tactics that I need to take into my stride. That's great. I think you should definitely try vision boarding. And what really works with vision boarding is feeling good and detaching yourself from it. So again, what we're talking about, which is not being desperate. No, definitely. Well, I am so glad that we had this conversation. I really hope that this has been beneficial to people that might be listening. I certainly am going to be taking so much away from me. Um, So Sue, thanks for sharing all this with me. I'm going to go and make a vision board right now. But before that, I'm going to get some food. It's been a great conversation and we will catch you in our next episode.